chapter 5. This evening we're going to be uh, focusing on Matthew chapter 5 and verse 8. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they will see God. If I was to ask you what is the biggest problem in the world today, uh, you could give a number of answers. Uh, You just have to open the newspapers or turn on the news And you could list off heaps of problems. You might say terrorism is the worst problem. Or famine in East Africa. Nothing could be worse than that. Perhaps climate change. Perhaps the obesity crisis. Perhaps education funding cuts. Perhaps tax evasion and the gap between rich and poor. Maybe you would say all of these things, uh, or one of these things, is the biggest problem that humans face. If we solved all of these problems, then the world would be just perfect. Well, I could spend a whole sermon uh, listing things that people would say is the biggest problem in the world. And if we were to have coffee afterwards, you could spend even longer debating between yourselves what you think is the biggest problem in the world. But all of these problems that I've listed, and most others that you would list, are symptoms of the much bigger problem. You see, the the symptom shows that there is a disease. And the disease, the Bible teaches us, is the disease of sin. Sin is rebellion against the God who made the world perfect. And when he made the world perfect, everyone and everything in it was perfect. But when humanity rebelled against God who made the world, then the world was never going to be what God intended it to be. There is something wrong with the world because there is something wrong with us. We are sinners. And the problem runs deep. It's not just the outward behaviour. You see, the problem of the terrorist isn't just the terrorism. The problem of anybody's sin isn't just the external. The problem runs deep. The problem lies in our hearts. The problem is in the heart. None of those uh, problems that I talked about at the beginning are in heaven. Heaven is the dwelling place of God and God is perfect. And in the perfect place with perfect, perfect God, there are, is no sin. So there are none of these issues. So surely then, the best thing that can happen to us is for us to go and be with God in heaven. And that is the best thing that could happen to us. But, and that is something that potentially could happen. Look at Matthew chapter 5 and verse 8. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they will see God. Well, before we get too excited, I think it's worth defining what these words mean. What is it? What does it mean when it says, pure in heart? Well, we need to understand, first of all, what does the Bible mean when it uses the word heart? Well, actually, in the Bible, the word heart is used for the organ of the body. 
but rarely. An example is when uh, Absalom, David's son, was killed. The Bible tells us in 2 Samuel 18 that there was a javelin thrust through his heart. And that was talking about the physical organ. But very rarely does it say heart as a physical organ. When Moses sings in Exodus chapter 15 and verse 8, he talks about the heart of the sea, as in the middle of something. But again, very rarely is heart used in that way. Most of the time, when the Bible uses the word heart, it is talking about our inner being, our very selves. In Proverbs chapter 4 and verse 23, we read this, Above all else, guard your heart, for everything you do flows from it. So that means that our hearts, our most inner beings, are the centre of who we are. Everything we do flows from our hearts. And the writer in Proverbs says to guard it because when we allow rubbish in, then rubbish comes out. The heart is where our desires come from. The heart is where our emotions, our conscience, our motives, our understanding, they all come from our hearts. Paul writes in Romans chapter 10 and verse 10 that it's with our hearts that we believe. So faith comes from the heart. And when Jesus talks of the heart in Matthew chapter 5 and verse 8, he is talking not of the organ, not the middle of the sea, but our very innermost being. And he says, blessed are the pure in heart. Well, pure is the second word we must understand. Uh, There's two sides to purity. First of all, purity means clean. The word uh, in in Greek was used for uh, describing soiled clothing that was made clean. That was one way it was used. So if you put your clothing in the wash and it came out clean, it would be pure. Or if a man had paid off all of his debts, we would say he's wiped the slate clean. In Jesus' day, they might say he is pure. So it's used about how we are clean. That means it talks about our lifestyle, our deeds, our words, our thoughts, that they are clean. But the second meaning is, it of, is, is a meaning which is unmixed. It means unmixed. So that means if I had, well I do have, a, a glass of water and I was to put something dirty in the water... It would be mixed, wouldn't it? It would be impure. It would be dirty. It would be something wrong with it. It is mixed. It is not pure water. And when the Bible talks about our hearts being pure, it's talking about them also being unmixed. This means uh, about sincerity. The opposite of hypocrisy. It talks of our motives. Listen to Jesus quoting Isaiah when he talks about the Pharisees. He says, These people honour me with their lips, but their hearts are far from me. You see, the Pharisees did one thing, they said one, and then they said something else. What they did didn't match what came out of their mouths. They were impure. They were mixed. And when Jesus uses the word pure here, he's talking of absolute purity. Absolute purity. So not just a little bit mixed, or a little bit unmixed, not just a little bit clean, 
but absolute clean. If I, I mean, you can use the example of the water. If I was to just put a tiny bit of dirt in the water, it would just be a tiny bit mixed, but it wouldn't be pure. If I was to put a soiled piece of clothing in the wash and it came out just a tiny bit dirty, it would not be pure, even a tiny bit. And when Jesus is talking about purity, he's talking about absolute purity. Our hearts, our innermost being, must be absolutely pure. So that means absolutely clean in everything we think and say and do, and completely unmixed. Our motives must be absolutely unmixed, totally sincere in all that we do. No hypocrisy in our lives at all. And if your heart's like that, well, Jesus says, then you will see God. What does it mean to see God? That's the the final thing we need to understand. Well, to see God in one sense means heaven. We'll be with God in heaven. But it's more than where we will be. Seeing God is experiencing his glory. It is the, the highest blessing a person can receive. To be able to see God. On the other hand, to not see God at all is to be away from his presence and away from his blessings. And in the end, the Bible calls that hell. So, we've seen these definitions. Our innermost being must be absolutely pure. Completely pure. And if they are, then we'll see God. Well, I hope that you can see a problem here. The problem is that no one has a pure heart, so no one can see God. That's a problem, isn't it? If you are honest with yourself, you know you have not got a pure heart. You cannot say that everything you've ever thought and said and done has been clean. That every action you've ever taken has always been completely sincere. And remember, it's absolute purity. So one tiny thing means you are impure. So you cannot see God. Listen to these uh, verses where the Bible talks of how nobody can see God. But he said, you cannot see my face. This is God speaking. For no one may see me and live. No one has ever seen God, but the one and only Son, who is himself God, and is in closest relationship with the Father, has made him known. 1 Timothy 6.16 talks about God who alone is immortal, and who lives in unapproachable light, who no one has seen or can see. And in Hebrews chapter 12 and verse 14, without holiness, that's a, you could say without purity, no one will see the Lord. You see, all through the Bible we, we can read how no one can see God and that's because no one's heart is pure. No one can see God and live because no one can bear the dazzling vision of the glory of God. And the problem is our hearts are impure. The heart is deceitful above all things and beyond cure. Who can understand it? And then Jesus talks In Mark chapter 7, what comes out of a person is what defiles them. For it is from within, out of a person's heart, that evil thoughts come. 
Sexual immorality, theft, murder, adultery, greed, malice, deceit, lewdness, envy, slander, arrogance and folly. All these evils come from inside and defile a person. Defile is another word for impure. The problem we have is that no heart is absolutely pure. Our hearts are unclean and they are mixed and they are worse than we think. We have performed evil deeds. We have thought appalling thoughts. We have spoken wrongly. And even the good we do is never unmixed. We've done good but from wrong motives or with insincerity. Where we've done good in public, which... At the same time, we do evil in private. It's the biggest problem humanity faces. The problem of impure hearts that can never see God. And they are on their way to an eternity without God in hell. That's the problem. Well, is there a solution? Well, yes, there is a solution. We've seen the solution over this Easter weekend, as we've looked at the accounts of Christ, but even in the Old Testament, before Jesus came, the people were commanded by God to make animal sacrifices to cover their sin. The penalty for sin is death, because sin needs to be paid for. And in the Old Testament, the death would fall on an animal That was sacrificed in the place of a sinner. But the problem was, as we've seen as we've gone through the book of Hebrews in the mornings in recent weeks, that these sacrifices, while covering sin, don't change the heart. The solution to our heart problem is not an animal sacrifice. The solution is we need a new heart. And that's why Jesus came. Even in the Old Testament, in Ezekiel, this is what we are promised. God says, I will sprinkle clean water on you and you will be clean. I will cleanse you from all your impurities and from all your idols. I will give you a new heart and put a new spirit in you. I will remove your heart from you your heart of stone and give you a heart of flesh. That's the promise of the Old Testament. Here the heart will be cleansed of its idolatry. Idolatry is where we worship anything that's not God, which all of us do. And God will give us a new heart. Idolatry is the problem with our hearts. Impure hearts seek something to worship that is not God. And that something is an idol. And we worship the gods of power, of pleasure, of possessions, of praise from other people. And all of this makes our hearts impure. And the removal of idols is what we need. This beatitude is taken from Psalm 24, which was read earlier, where we read, Who may ascend the mountain of the Lord? Who may stand in his holy place? The one who has clean hands and a pure heart, who does not trust in an idol or swear by a false god. So what is needed and what was promised is a new heart. That's the solution. And the glorious news of the gospel that we have seen as we've read the accounts of what Christ has done is that Jesus gives us new hearts. The solution is Jesus who gives us a new heart which is pure. When Jesus died on the cross, he paid the penalty for our sins. 
And because the penalty for sin is paid for, which is death, he was risen from the dead. Because sin has been paid for. But this new life that Jesus had is given to us because he paid for our sin too. And so we have new life in Jesus Christ. And when we have new life in Christ, God gives us a new heart. When we ask him to forgive our sins because we believe that he has paid for them and we follow him as our king, he gives us a new heart. And the Bible tells us uh, throughout the New Testament how God cleanses our hearts. Uh, 1 Corinthians chapter 6 and verse 11. But you were washed, you were sanctified, you were justified in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ and by the Spirit of our God. 1 John chapter 1 and verse 7. But if we walk in the light as he is in the light, we have fellowship with one another and the blood of Jesus Christ, his Son, purifies us from all sin. He cleanses the heart, our innermost being, so that we have pure hearts, so that we can see God. You see, when God sees the Christian, the one with a pure heart, he sees us as completely, absolutely pure, because Jesus credits us with his purity. The inner person is cleansed. The inner person is seen as clean and unmixed in God's sight. And this means we can see God. Yes, in heaven, but now as we experience his glory. Because of what Jesus has done, we have a positional purity that as God looks on us, he sees us clean. Isn't that glorious news? That is why we celebrate Easter, isn't it? That Jesus is risen from the dead. That we can have new hearts. It's wonderful news. But with a changed heart comes the changed life. If our hearts are truly cleansed on the inside, then how we live on the outside will be pure as well. So the truth, with the truth of the gospel in mind that we've just looked at, Let's look at how our heart is not just positionally clean, but how we are to be practically clean as well. This is the application. Practical purity from a new heart. What does purity in heart look like? Well, let's use the two aspects of the definition of purity. Cleanliness and unmixed. So in terms of clean, how does our heart show itself? Well, it shows itself in the way that we act and the way we think and the way we speak as Christians. Now, we must be careful not to think that purity of heart is only following external rules. The purity of heart is such that how we act, how we think, how we speak flows out of us naturally. Because of what God has done. Now that's not to say we don't need to work hard at obeying what the scriptures say. We do. But the purity of heart that God gives us enables us to do that. Because our hearts have been changed, it will be more natural over time. And our hearts will yearn for a holiness. It won't just be a past time. To be holy isn't just... What maybe some extreme Christians do. 
It should be the passion of all of our hearts. Here are some questions to ask yourself regarding purity of heart. This is uh, something that um, I read uh, from D.A. Carson. These are some, some questions that he says. He says, purity of heart must never be confused with outward conformity to rules. Because it is a heart which must be pure, this beatitude interrogates us with awkward questions like these. So see how, how you do with these. What do you think about when your mind slips into neutral? How much sympathy do you have for deception, no matter how skillful? For shady humour, no matter how funny? To what do you pay consistent allegiance? What do you want more than anything else? What and whom do you love? Challenging questions as we examine our hearts. I would add that we also need to be very careful about what we allow into our hearts. If we're going to have pure hearts practically, we need to be careful about what we watch on the television, what we listen to on the radio, what we click on on the internet, even what we play on on our phones and on our games consoles. What are we allowing into our hearts? Because when I worked in IT, we had a a saying that was always said um, to any developer, rubbish in, rubbish out. If they were writing code and the code was rubbish, you can guarantee the software was rubbish. And it's the same in our lives. When we allow rubbish in, it's rubbish out. And that's why purity of heart is not just so that everyone can see you following the rules. Because when we allow, even in private, rubbish in our hearts, our lives will allow rubbish out. And that's why, by the way, pornography is such a scourge in our society. It's always in secret... But it's so much more damaging than just merely the image on the screen. It allows rubbish, impurity into our very hearts. And when it does that, it ruins our very lives. Be careful what you allow in. Rubbish in, rubbish out. But rather, as Paul writes in Philippians chapter 4 and verse 8, whatever is true, whatever is noble, whatever is right, Whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is admirable, if anything is excellent or praiseworthy, think about such things. Well, the second part of purity is unmixed, taking our motives and uh, talking about sincerity. Unmixed means that we have one desire alone, one passion, and that's to bring glory to God. Unmixed that we remember that we are not to put on a show in order to impress other people. But we are to do things for the glory of God. Unmixed means that when you are in private, you are pure as you are in public. I remember when I I used to meet uh, a pastor uh, who in Cornwall, <clears throat> and before I moved here for about a year, uh, I met uh, for a, it was an older pastor, uh, very experienced, a lovely man. Uh, his name was John Gillespie, and we used to meet once a month. And I always remember 
he, say, he used to always say to me, who you are in private is who you are. Who you are in private is who you are. And it's so true. We can put on a show to everybody else, but who we are in private is who we are. And if we are impure in private, that is who we are. Being unmixed means we don't be someone else on our own than we are in public. That was the problem with the Pharisees, wasn't it? Who Jesus described as whitewashed tombs. They were dead, even if on the outside they looked really nice. So the pure in heart are unmixed. They are sincere. They're not hypocrites. And they have integrity. They don't say one thing and then do another. As a parent, it's never, ever, ever right to say, do what I say, but not what I do. No, we have integrity. We all know the stories of people in public office, don't we? Who have been found doing the very thing they have said in public not to do. And we know of tragic stories of pastors who have fallen because of perhaps public holiness, but private impurity. The pure in heart are also unmixed in their motives. Think about these kind of questions. When you serve in the church or in the community, why are you doing it? Is it to gain approval? Is it to get applause? Or is it to serve the Lord? As a test, how would you feel if someone else got the credit for doing what you did? Sometimes our motive may be to get something back in return. When you do a favour for someone else, you look, uh, for, you look as that as credit in the bank and they'll do something for you in the future. You know, a Christian should never ever have to call in favours. That's not a Christian term. The motive to help someone should be to bring glory to God and to bless the person. We can have a motivation of fear, perhaps, such as uh, you know, doing what a commanding officer says. We can serve God out of fear rather than out of love. Perhaps your motive is just one of duty where you grudgingly help because, well, I suppose I'd better do it because I'm a Christian. When I was a child... My mum would, uh, she, was, she, she used to call it independence training. I hated independence training. She used to make me do the dishes. I used to have to iron, clean the toilet, tidy stuff. Uh, since I was a little boy, she always made me do that. And I always did it, but never out of a pure heart. I did it grudgingly. I complained about it. Yeah, I, I did it, but I had to do it. Otherwise, there was consequences. But that's not how we should serve the Lord. Our motive should be... To bring him glory. In this respect, I suppose as Christians we can look at this and say, well, should I ever serve God then? Because my motives are never completely pure. And there's a sense where that's true. There'll never be this side of heaven always a completely pure motive for anything that we do. We still need to obey the scriptures though even if our motives are not altogether right. But what we should do from this is examine our hearts And pray that God would give us pure hearts, that our motives would be right, that we would bring glory to God. So that's practical application. And finally, the motivation. 
The motivation is that the pure in heart will see God. What we said at the beginning, to see God is to experience his glory, the highest blessing a person can receive. Because we're right with God now, we are able to experience this even now. But we can only experience the blessing of seeing God if we are practically pure now too. Right now we can see God in a number of ways. We can see God in creation. When God has given us new hearts, we can look at creation and proclaim the praises of the God who made it. We acknowledge that the heavens declare the glories of God. Only Christians can really do that. We can see God in the Bible in a way that unbelievers never can as the Holy Spirit opens our eyes to the truth of what is written. We can see God in prayer as we spend time at his throne talking to him. We can see God in history as we look back and we see his hand at work in our lives and in the history of the world. We can even see God in suffering. Listen to Moses in Hebrews chapter 11 and verse 27. It says, By faith he left Egypt, not fearing the king's anger. He persevered because he saw him who is invisible. Moses saw God. He saw God. And it got him through his suffering. And this was because he saw God through the eyes of faith. And Job, he had that experience too. Listen to what he said at the end of the book of Job. In chapter 42 and verse 5, he said, My eyes had heard of, my ears had heard of you, but now my eyes have seen you. You see, even in suffering, we can see God. For those whose hearts are pure now, those who are passionate for holiness now, they will experience in this life the blessing of being under God's rule. They will see God. The world can offer us so much. But if we rebel against God and go for the world, we have something that is so infinitely inferior to what Jesus offers us here. The pure in heart see God, see his glory, experience the blessing of being under his rule. And it is always, always, always better to see God, experience his blessing and glory than anything this world can offer us. Satan sells us a lie when he tells us that anything is greater than the glory of God. There's a sense, though, that we will never, this side of heaven, see God fully. Uh, Paul writes um, in 1 Corinthians chapter 13 about seeing only a reflection as in a mirror, but then we will see face to face. Now I know in part, then I shall know fully, even as I am fully known. You see, right now, we, uh, in, in the older versions of that verse in 1 Corinthians, it talks about seeing through a glass dimly. We can, we can see God, but, but not fully yet. But one day, the pure in heart will see God. And in Revelation 22 and verses 4 and 5, it says, They will see his face, and his names will be on their forehead. We will see him face to face. Face to face with God, which throughout the Bible, no one has ever been able to do because they haven't had a pure heart. But because Jesus has cleansed our hearts, we will see him face to face. And dwell in his glory 
forevermore. Keep that vision clear in your eyes. Keep that vision of glory before you. Because when we're tempted to sin, it's like we have an object which is really small put before our eyes. When, when you look at the sun, the sun is a huge, uh, a huge object in the sky. But if you have just something small like a pebble that you put in front of your eyes closely, you don't get to see the sun. And what Satan does is he brings temptation to us as a little pebble and he tries to put it right in front of your eyes so you can't see. Don't allow those stones in front of your eyes to block the vision of the glory of God, which now we see in part, but one day we'll see in whole. Let me close with these words from 1 John uh, chapter 3. Wonderful words. It says, See what great love the Father has lavished on us, that we should be called children of God, and that is what we are. The reason the world does not know us is that it did not know him. Dear friends, now we are children of God, and what we will be has not yet been made known. But we know that when Christ appears, we shall be like him, for we shall see him as he is. All who have this hope in him purify themselves, just as he is pure. If we have this hope, this hope of seeing Jesus face to face, if we have that, we keep that clear in front of us, we purify our hearts. We, we have hearts that are pure as we gaze upon his glory. We long to be holy in preparation for seeing our God face to face. Truly, blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see God. Well, let's respond uh, to these uh, words in song. First of all, we're going to ask God in prayer uh, to purify our hearts. That's the first song. Purify my heart. And then we're going to sing of our future glory that we have in Christ, that we've just been reading about as we sing, There is a Day. So let's stand and sing, Purify my heart. Let's sing this as a prayer to God that he would do this work in us.